When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 365 of Sustainable Minimalists. On this show, we are here three times a week, and we discuss all things intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing a retreat, so to speak, a retreat to a simpler way of life. I talk a lot about products and services that market convenience on this podcast, don't I? And who doesn't want an easier and less arduous existence, right? I have no interest in washing my clothes by hand if I can help it. Thank you, washing machine, for doing that arduous task for me. But what's happened over the decades is that we collectively have sacrificed our traditional skill sets for apps and gadgets that do the work for us. And we've swapped natural movement that just happens, natural exercise that just happens as we go about our days, for a largely sedentary existence that's likely in front of some sort of screen. And if I wanted to take this one step further even, I could make the argument that we have traded a life that's intertwined with nature for ones that are largely indoors. What are the consequences of indoor lives that are centered around ultra-convenience? For many of us, myself included, the consequence is what's often referred to as modern malaise. Something's off, something's not quite right, but we can't put our finger on it. Enter what my guest today believes is the antidote, the homestead mindset. Today, I am speaking with proud homesteader Jill Winger. Jill is the host of the Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast. And don't lose your hats, listeners. We are not moving to homesteads today. We're not giving up all of life's modern conveniences. And that's because Jill is an expert at helping people just like you and me create simpler and slower lives right where we are, no farm necessary. Jill, so excited to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. I'm excited for this conversation. Me too. I think homesteaders are super cool. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to all the encouragement you're going to give me. I already know after we stop talking, I'm going to like get chickens and maybe a cow. (laughs) Yes, totally. I have that effect on people. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would love it if we started today by you, first of all, telling us how you got here. How did you become a passionate homesteader? But also perhaps you can 
paint a little picture in our minds of what your homestead looks like, what you have, how big it is, all those things. Sure. Yeah. So I came through this kind of through the back door. People always assume that I come from a farm family or a ranch family, and I don't. I was raised like a very typical 90s kid in a little neighborhood in like one of those 90s houses, split level type of deal. So very conventional in every way. But I always had this weird spark in me that I just wanted something a little different. And I wanted to live in the country and I wanted horses, especially and animals and barns. And so I was always the weird child. I didn't have a lot of friends, but I kept following that spark as I got older and into high school and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And that spark led me to Wyoming when I was 18 to attend a horse college or a college that had a horse program here. And so that was my first kind of step outside of the realm of normal, because I think one of the big pieces of homesteading that's an obstacle for people is you kind of have to be willing to let go of looking like everyone else and living like everyone else and maybe having your friends think you're regular, right? You have to be willing to be weird. And so that first step Moving to Wyoming was important. I met my husband here and then we started looking as we, when we got married, we started looking for our first property and we knew we wanted something different. Again, I had that desire for different, but I didn't know what it was. I couldn't flesh it out. And that ended up being this fixer upper farmhouse that was 45 minutes away from town, 45 minutes away from grocery stores or anything, uh, any piece of civilization. And back then it was 2008. Homesteading wasn't a thing. It wasn't being talked about very much. People weren't getting chickens. You couldn't get mason jars at the grocery store very easily. Like it was very much still obscure. But when we bought this land, I was really struck with this thought of like, how can I make it productive? How can I make it mean something? How can I bring it back to life? Because it was pretty run down and needed a lot of work. And so that's what prompted this, these little baby steps. So it was a compost pile. It was chickens. It was a garden. And it blossomed into this passion that's become my life's work. And so fast forward to today, we have the same 67 acres that we started with. It's changed a lot. We've built a lot of things here. We fixed up the house and fixed up the barns. We keep milk cows, egg chickens, and meat chickens. We raise pigs about every other year. We have a big garden and a greenhouse, and we're growing the majority of our food we grow ourselves. And so as our kids have come along, that's been really fun to watch them blossom into the lifestyle. So it's become my honestly my identity so from your 90s cul-de-sac to 67 acres <laughs> well you mentioned something a couple times there you said you were a quote strange kid and you said i believe you said you were drawn to a weird lifestyle is homesteading only for strange and weird people or could it be for everybody it definitely can be for everyone. And I like to use those terms because I, I definitely don't think it's weird now. I actually think it's historically very normal and, and very human. But in our culture, especially as our culture is racing towards everything modern and technology heavy, and we're going the opposite direction, it's odd to people. And so I like to use those words to relate to how people might see it. But no, I think it has, there's a piece of this that's available for everyone. And I love helping people see the possibilities for them because I know not everyone's going to move to 67 acres. Not everyone can move out, out to the prairie. And that's not really a prerequisite at all. It's really a mindset shift. And that's what makes me most excited is how can we bring these old-fashioned principles into every home in some way, shape, or form. And it's really attainable for everyone, even if you can't get chickens and even if you're not going to have a milk cow anytime soon. I love all of that. And that's what I want to talk to you about, which is how can we all just take in a little bit of these old-fashioned principles into our home? Because as you mentioned, not everyone can move to a big acreage homestead, but also 
not everybody, and I would probably guess that the vast majority of my listeners don't even want to, (laughs) because just playing devil's advocate here, modern advances have been made to make our lives easier. And so you're taking a conscious step backward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you you said something important there in terms of modern life has given us advancements that make our lives easier. And like, why would we want to go back? Like, why are we choosing the harder way? And I think that's a really valid question because obviously I'm not going to sit here and say every advancement of the industrial revolution was bad. You know, obviously I'm sitting here in this cushy office with a microphone and my laptop and my Wi-Fi and my camera. So we have one foot planted in the modern world, even here on the prairie. But I think the homestead mindset shift or whatever you want to call it, this old fashioned mindset shift starts with asking questions, lots of good questions. And one of the questions I like to ask first is, who were we before industrialism told us how to be or how to live? And I think when we start pulling back some of these layers and stripping back all this baggage of modernity, and not all of it's bad, some of it I'm very happy to have showers and hot water and I have vehicles and all those things. But a lot of our paradigm today has been shaped by corporations and by this move of industrialism that exalts consumerism at all costs. And it's shaped how we think and how we live as modern people in ways that aren't always good for us. And so one of the first things I encourage people to do is think about how maybe certain tasks that are harder at first glance, that require more effort from you physically or mentally, how they might improve your quality of life once you partake in them. And that's that first old-fashioned shift. And it's not that I do everything the hard way, but there's things I consciously do the hard way that make my life better and richer in the process. And so like gardening is an example. It is easier and people don't like to hear this, but it is cheaper for me to buy vegetables at the grocery store for the most part. That's an unfortunate truth with the way our food is subsidized. However, I choose to garden and I choose to sweat and get my hands dirty and toil outside in the summer because I get the food, sure, but I also get the mental health benefits of being out there. It helps me ground myself, helps me stay centered when my life gets busy. And so that's an example of how the harder path, a harder choice makes our lives more rich in the long run. And I think that applies to so many pieces of this lifestyle, whether you're doing it in a, sub- the, a suburban setting or you're doing it in a rural setting like I am. You're speaking to something that a recent guest on the podcast also spoke to, Lisa Bass of Simple Farmhouse Life. But you're both essentially making the same point, which is there's joy to be had, there's skills to be learned when we take the harder route. I think our culture, I don't think, I know our culture prioritizes convenience, quick and easy over the harder path. But it's important to remember that for most of us, there's a ton of personal benefit to be had in taking the longer and perhaps more arduous route, at least some of the time. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. And not all the time. I think that's an important differentiation. Like I have a washing machine. I have a dishwasher. I have a car. We're not living an Amish lifestyle. We have electricity. And I think that's the beauty of homesteading in our modern era is we get to pick and choose. You know, that choice is powerful and that's going to look different for every person. But even science backs up this idea of when we're using our hands to do manual tasks, it actually triggers 
the happy chemicals in our brain. And so you think about how disconnected we are from nature and how disconnected we are from using our hands and creation and how disconnected we are from other people. It's no mystery why we as modern folks are kind of like they call it the modern malaise. Like if you look at the rates of anxiety and depression and people are just unhappy, like it, it totally matches the arc of the kind of the rise of this convenience culture and rise of this exalting ease at all costs. And so I think there's a correlation there that there's a lot of good stuff to be found when we're doing these counterintuitive choices. Yeah, you mentioned modern malaise there. I love that. I tend to call it like just a general disillusionment, but I'm going to adopt the modern malaise. We're all working so hard. We're all overtired. And most of us are also disillusioned. We're experiencing that modern malaise. And so I find myself wondering, for me in my own home, am I working really hard at the wrong things? It's just a question that always pops up. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'm real, I'm working really hard and I'm also disillusioned. So am I putting my effort every single day into the wrong things? You know, where did we collectively as a culture, like where and when did we get off track? That's a great question. And I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years researching that. I think it started at that peak of the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And again, it's not that was all bad. The historians call that one of the greatest advancements in all of human history. So there's a lot of good things that happened, life-saving inventions and things. But you really start to see this change in people's mindsets and how they lived because of those advancements. And we started to take a more exploitive approach to our world and how we were treating nature. I think humans always had that tendency, but with the advancements, we started to have the tools to really just pillage the earth around us and the prairies and the west and the plains. And you start to see those shifts in, again, convenience was prioritized. I was looking at some different writings from the 1920s when the rise of this, I think, what did they call it? It wasn't consumerism consumptionism. They, it was like they, they actually, the marketers were referring to it as like this religion of consumptionism and they were actively promoting it. They weren't hiding it. They were trying to get people to buy more than they needed because up to that point, there was this idea that people are going to go to the store, they're going to go to the mercantile and buy what they needed, but they're not going to buy more than they needed. And it was really, they almost had to train the consumer to buy beyond what their normal human needs were. And so you see this push and this concentrated effort from marketers and corporations and factories to get people to prioritize ease. And also they denigrated this more homespun, close to the earth lifestyle. And there's a lot of messaging that, you know, that's like for, for the lower classes. And that's like for people who aren't as intelligent. And so you just see that shift. And I think it's one thing piled on the other. And it brought us to where we are today. And I think a lot of people don't even think about it. I know I didn't. It was just like, here I am a modern person in 20, 2020 or 2018 or whatever. And you just think that, our culture now is just how it's always been. But if you start to look back 150 years, you realize it, it's not necessarily the case. We are living in this world that's propped up by a lot of messaging and a lot of agendas that aren't always, that's not how we have to do things. We have a lot of choices to go blaze our own trail. Yeah. As you're speaking, I'm thinking there, it's the messaging, it's the marketing. It's also the shift as we embrace more products of convenience what we're really doing is we're over generations, over the generations, we're separating ourselves from the knowledge of having these self-sufficient skills so that here we are in 2023 because, and no offense to my mom and my grandma and my <laughs> ancestors, but they had skills that I no longer have. And so the products of convenience are 
unless I actively try and reteach myself these important skills, they're gone. My only option is the products of convenience. And so, Jill, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to get into the how. We've talked about the why. We're going to get into the how. Like, how can all of us listening take a little snippet of that homestead mindset shift that you mentioned? How can we take that shift and incorporate it ever so slightly into our own homes? We'll get there after a quick word from our sponsors. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Jill Winger. She is the founder of The Prairie Homestead and host of the Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast. I love that title, Old Fashioned on Purpose. We're going to get into the how, Jill. So how can those of us listening, hopefully we sparked some interest in the previous (laughs) part of our conversation, but how can we incorporate some of that into our lives? I love this question. I love the action part. So I always recommend that people start with food because we're all eating three times a day at least, and it affects our health, it affects our our families, and it also gives us a chance to affect change on the world around us in a really powerful way with our buying choices. So for me, that started with, I think the first just baby step was, what can I make from scratch? And just thinking outside the box of, okay, I was buying tortillas and buying yogurt and buying all these things. My pantry looked like the standard American pantry. Like what, which one of those could I make at home with simple ingredients? And so 
I honestly, I'm a little bit of a kitchen nerd, but I had so much fun in the early years of our homestead having these revelations of, oh my gosh, you can actually make yogurt at home. And oh my gosh, I can actually make enchilada sauce without a can. And it's way simpler than you've been led to believe. Like so many of these things we've been told are complicated because, and we have, so we have to buy the box mix or we have to buy the can and it's, they're really not that complicated and they're better for you. And it's triggering that circuit in our brain that uses our hands and gives us the happy chemicals. So you're getting all kinds of benefits. But yeah, start with the food, make things from scratch, then maybe start looking at where you're buying your food. And I still buy food from the regular grocery store. Absolutely. But I also grow some of it. I get some from farmers markets. I get some from local producers. I buy a lot in bulk because that reduces the amount of trash and waste that we create from our kitchen. And so I'd say start there. Yes. And I'll just add to that. Start where you have an interest. If cooking's not your thing, maybe don't start there. So for me, I like cooking. However, we have a great adult education program in my town. A couple years ago, I saw, you know, they were having a soap making class. I was like, oh, that sounds lovely. So I signed up and that was just, first of all, it was fun. Second of all, I learned a new skill. And third of all, I got to flex my own brain, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like I really get encouragement and motivation from trying something new and succeeding. I get a lot of joy out of that. So think about what makes you light up. What lights you up? I would ask. That's a great, that's a great point. And I know not everyone loves cooking. So that's a good idea because if you want to have those quick wins when you're starting and you don't want to be like drudging through, oh my gosh, I'm making bread and I don't want to make bread. Gardening, if that is your thing, if you've been growing flowers, maybe throw some vegetables in or soap or candles or making homemade house cleaners or making homemade knitting fabric art. So there's, yeah, the sky is the limit. It just, yeah, find what makes you feel excited. And because we're talking about incorporating a little tiny bit of the homesteading mindset into our homes, if you take up knitting, for example... That does not mean you have to knit every future pair of socks your family wears. Like, we do not have to be completely self-sufficient, but we can start to reteach ourselves these old self-sufficient skills so that we can pass them on, right? I'm not making every bar of soap for my family. I'm not growing every vegetable. However, I am learning these skills, teaching myself these skills, teaching my children these skills, and having fun in the process. I think that's what really gets lost in these conversations about self-sufficiency. People seem to think it's a drudgery. I don't. I think of it as learning new hobbies. Yes. And that's a great point. And I, maybe that I think that does get lost a lot because there's sure, there surely are hard days. Like we've had gardens get hailed out and animals die. So there's hard days. But I do. I have fun with it. And if I didn't have fun with it at the beginning... And I had fun making all sorts of weird things. Homemade toilet bowl cleaner back in the early days. Like I thought that was fun because I could, like you said, figure out something that I didn't know how to do and figure out that skill. And I got excited. Yeah, it's all fun. It's still fun. I still get a little charge from the fresh tomatoes and being outside with the chickens. So the fun, it keeps you motivated through the hard times for sure. So what would you say then to listeners who are hearing our talk today and are saying to themselves, are you kidding me? You... Stephanie and you, Jill, are so out of touch. I do not have time to do anything. I am so overworked and overtired. There's not a spare second in my days. What are you talking about? Do you have anything to say to them? Yeah, and that's I think valid, right? We're all busy, especially moms. Moms, modern moms are so busy. We have so many demands placed on us from culture and such. 
first off, I think there's always that conversation of when, what can we remove from our schedule, but that's like a whole nother conversation of, you know, how much are we saying yes to that is an obligation or we're doing out of, we feel like we have to, and we really could pull that out. But I would say if you're feeling that, oh my gosh, this is too much, just look at the pieces that are simple and that you could add in kind of by default. And I would also recommend sometimes, and I even have this tendency living out in the middle of nowhere, Sometimes my default activity when I'm tired or I'm stressed is I reach for my phone and I just start scrolling. We all do that. It's very, it's a very addictive device. But I've learned if I can even take 10 minutes instead of scrolling and choose to do something manual or choose to do something that's maybe a little more old fashioned where I, maybe I'm out walk outside or I sit in the grass or I dig my hands in the soil or I water a plant. I start to feel the benefit. It's almost a form of self-care. And so for me, self-care, I don't, I'm not going to get my nails done or I'm not sitting in the bubble bath as much. That's fine if that's your jam for self-care. But that self-care for me looks a little bit different, but it still fills my cup in a lot of different ways. So I would say it doesn't have to be a whole nother thing you're adding into your already bursting schedule. It can replace maybe some of the tech activities that make us feel even more scattered and overwhelmed sometimes we don't realize it. And it can be as simple as five minutes of sitting outside and breathing or laying on the grass and connecting with nature. So it doesn't have to be an ordeal necessarily. I love that answer, Jill, because you flipped my question on its head. I was asking, how can we add something without extra stress? And you're saying we don't need to add something to adopt that homestead mindset. You're saying take something away. Like if you are feeling that modern malaise that we discussed earlier, take something away. Maybe recenter yourself without the tech. I love that because guess what? I don't care how busy we all are. We can all put our phone away for five minutes. Can we not? So let's talk a little bit more about that homestead mindset shift. Just slightly more for people who don't want to add gardening or composting or knitting or soap making or cheese making or whatever the thing is, but they do want to start, you know, getting their mind right, let's say. What are some of those other mindset shifts that those of us listening can start to mull over? Yeah. So if you if you don't want to to partake in one of those big activities, right? Because those are big. Sourdough is a big deal. Gardening is a big deal. It's not hard. None of it's hard, but it does take brain power, takes focus. So I think a big one is connecting with nature. If you look back at how disconnected we are as modern folks with nature, it's quite amazing. We live in what I like to call the human zoo almost in certain aspects. Everything around us is man-made. It's asphalt and concrete and particle board and sheetrock and plastic all the time. And our bodies aren't really designed for that. We're natural beings designed to live in a natural world. And so how can you reconnect with your biology? And, you know, I like to recommend if you live in the middle of a big city and you work at an office all day, maybe you take your lunch hour outside and you just let the sunlight hit your skin. You sit under a tree in the grass, you touch the earth. Touching the earth is important. Whether you're touching soil or you're touching grass, that's really important. There's actual microbes in the soil that have been shown to have antidepressant effects. They actually help our mental health. And so you think how dis- how so many people are scared to get dirty, but maybe that's some of the pieces that we're missing. So get connected with nature. One of the cool side effects of that is you start to care more about your impact on the planet and how much trash you're creating or the effects of your choices. And so that ends up 
helping us do more good in terms of our environmental mindset and as well as connecting our bodies back into our natural habitat. So it's those simple choices. It's going for a walk. Um, it's giving yourself solitude. Think of an old-time homesteader would have had a lot of time to think. And in our modern culture, the only time we have to think outside of distractions is often the shower. But the shower is where we get a lot of good ideas, right? Like I always get amazing ideas in the shower. So give yourself solitude. And then finally, a really cool old-fashioned practice is community, cultivating community. And in our modern world, we're so screen-connected that we forget those face-to-face connections often. So decide to have people over for a dinner party, have a neighborhood block party, get together and have a themed dinner, or put together some sort of event for your town. Like All of those are cultivating really important old-fashioned principles that don't have to involve gardening or sourdough bread necessarily. Jill, I'm so happy you came on my show because I love this conversation. I wonder if step one for people listening who don't want to make the sourdough, which by the way, I must say, I do have a sourdough starter starting right now. That's my spring slash summer (laughs) um, goal. We'll see how it works. Thing smells really bad right now. But for those of us who don't want to be homesteaders, maybe like step one to re-adopting that old-fashioned mindset is to get outside of our own four walls. Like, I feel like we're always inside, generally. I'm talking about our culture, right? We tend to be inside, on our phones, isolated. Maybe step one is to get outside of our homes, get into nature, be around other people, and start to really cultivate that sense of community that I wonder whether technology is, again, taking us away from. So Jill, tell my listeners where we can find more of you and all your goodness on the World Wide Web. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The Prairie Homestead is my original blog. It's been going on for 12 years now, and it's still going strong. So it's kind of the hub where you can connect to all the different things I do, the podcast and the posts and such. I also have a book coming out in September of this year that's called Old Fashioned on Purpose. And it's a lot of the things we talked about today and giving people those baby steps, even if they don't live in the country, even if they're not going to buy a milk cow, how to get more connected with who they are and what makes them human. So that will be available. It's at oldfashionedbook.com. And yeah, so that's where I'm at. That's what I do. Thank you so much for coming on, Jill. I wish you and your family and your homestead so much success. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. It was my pleasure. Listeners, that's a wrap. I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jill Winger. Show notes, including all the places where to find her and her goodness at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 365. I will be back two more times this week. You'll see me two more times on Thursday. We're discussing how to vet a nonprofit and specifically how to find the environmentally leaning nonprofit that speaks to your heart. That's on Thursday. I'm hoping to take down any barriers. I can't take away the financial barriers, unfortunately, but I can take away the informational barriers that may prevent and often prevent some of us from giving freely. On Friday, we'll be back with headlines, and I'll see you for both of those. As a friendly reminder, if you love the show, you're getting benefit, it's helping you in your daily lives, it puts a smile on your face, please consider leaving it a quick Apple Podcasts or Spotify review, and I thank you so much for supporting the show in that way. And while you're at it, go on with your bad self and give another show that you love and listen to 
a quick review too. I promise you, us podcasters read them and genuinely appreciate them. So thank you so much. I'll see you on Thursday. Reach out if you need me. The way to do that is also in the show notes. And take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.